Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome to the Red Box Podcast and the Times. I'm Matt Jolly. This is part four of the Red Box Whip Round, a special mini-series of interviews going behind the scenes of the Whip's office. In this episode, I speak to Mark Harper, who in 2015 became the first chief whip in a Conservative majority government for 18 years. I joined him in his Commons office, where, drinking out of his favourite chief whip mug, he insisted the job was nothing like House of Cards. I began by asking him if ensuring discipline was made easier by having a slim toy majority, or if it was better when his party could rely on the Lib Dems to get their laws passed. So Mark Harper, here we are in your rather nice office in the old part of the palace. You're drinking out of your chief whip mug. You were chief whip from when the Conservative majority government was formed, right through until Theresa May became Prime Minister. So... Was that an easier because it was a Tory majority? In some ways, I think it was probably more difficult, certainly from observing it. One of the things with the coalition was, although there were the tensions, clearly, and differences of opinion between the Conservatives and the Liberal Democrats, actually, when we were delivering something that was in the coalition agreement or something that wasn't where there was agreement, the government had a majority of 80. Yeah. And actually, on, on most occasions, if the opposition didn't get its act together, it was a majority closer to 100. So actually, except for those occasions when the two coalition parties fell out with each other, it was a pretty decent-sized majority. Um, obviously, going to a Conservative majority government, our majority was 12, our working majority was 16. Um, and if all the opposition parties were against us, you know, it was actually quite quite a tough quite a tough gig. So explain to me, because some people here, well, the majority's actually 12 because the Tories have got 12 more seats than everyone else. Why is, why is the working majority 14, 16? Uh, basically because um, Sinn Féin uh, don't take their seats. So uh, they're never going to be here. They're technically opposition MPs and we don't hold those seats, but they're never here to vote against us. So the working majority is that little bit bigger. And there seems to be this sense lately that majorities even higher. The DUP seem to be voting with the government more often than not. Labour Party in a bit of a mess. Is that? Yeah, I mean, that's the, the sort of worst case scenario. I mean, clearly there are on issues, you know, people don't not to vote for you just because they don't happen to be Conservative. So as you've said, on issues, on a lot of issues, particularly issues to do with defence, security, um, the union, then we often uh, will get the support uh, of the DUP uh, and the UUP. Uh, and if they both vote with us, are actually in our lobby, that actually increases our majority effectively by 20. Because you've got 10 opposition MPs actually voting with the government. If they don't vote with us but they don't vote against us, that increases our majority by 10. So actually on issues where there is an, an argument for reaching out to opposition parties, um, and on some issues, of course... Uh, Labour doesn't have a consistent position, and the most, the, the two most obvious ones of those, one when I was chief whip and, uh, and one just afterwards, were on defence-related matters, where we got the support of uh, a fair number of Labour MPs on uh, the action in Syria yep. uh, last year, uh, and obviously a lot of Labour MPs supported the renewal of Trident. So how did you feel then? The Tories have just won a majority that nobody predicted. The Prime Minister calls you up and says... 
I'm going to give you a big promotion to the cabinet. You think terrific, and he says, "I'm going to make you chief, chief whip." What's your reaction to that? Well, it was one of those interesting occasions where um, it was a classy. It was a, it was a Saturday morning, and I was just about to go to a meeting of my uh, district council conservative group, as you do. Uh, and the telephone rang, and it was absolutely throwing it down with rain. Uh, and I was sat in my uh, parliamentary assistant's car in the car park, <laughs> and the phone rang, and it was the prime minister. And and in a funny sort of way, you you got a hint about what the job might be because of when the phone call arrived. So he'd announced the most senior roles um, in Cabinet, uh, but hadn't announced any others. So in the nature of things... The chief Whip was probably next. ...tends to get yeah, done yeah. fairly early on in the process. And I, I, no, I was actually very pleased because, um, notwithstanding the challenges, I'd spent a lot of time in Parliament. The previous jobs I'd done, particularly the constitutional reform job, I am a bit of a parliamentary person. Uh, I love... Parliament, uh, and so actually I couldn't actually think of anything better than a job which required you to kind of get the nuts and bolts to work for the government. The downside, of course, is you don't get to say anything in Parliament, and traditionally you don't do any broadcast media, but equally you get a ringside, literally a ringside seat, when all the big events are taking place in Parliament with a sort of guaranteed seat on the front bench. So it's sort of, you know, it's, it swings and roundabouts. But it's one of those weird jobs, because you are very senior in the government, and yet you never speak publicly. There was talk when Michael Gove got the job about he would become also sort of Minister of the Today programme. It never really sort of panned out like that. Do you think it's just because it needs to be a job sort of done behind closed doors? Yeah, I do. It, it, it is one of those jobs, I think, because you're involved to some extent, uh, and I said I, I don't know whether this is the, the model that um, uh, the uh, present Prime Minister has carried on, but certainly certainly when I was doing the job, you know, you were involved in a lot of those decisions, and I think it's, it's better if you're not um, doing a, a front-of-house job, because, frankly, the only thing you're going to get asked about are all the sort of things that are probably not the sort of things best talked about in public. Um, you know, it's not your responsibility to be selling the policy or setting out the policy. That's for the, the cabinet minister that's responsible. If it's a big across government issue, you know, that responsibility would properly fall to the prime minister. So when, um, when you're in those conversations, to what extent are you saying, I think this is a good policy or a bad policy, or to what extent are you saying... We're not going to get this through, or this is going to be tough. Well, I think the, the mistake people always make about the, the, the whip's office generally and the chief whip's job is they always tend to look at it from the... It's the, the, the half of the job that's the transmit part of the job, which is to, you know, you are responsible for getting the government's uh, programme, working with the leader of the House of Commons, getting the government's programme through Parliament. But what people always forget is that you also have a, a receive job, as it were, which is to listen to the views of of colleagues in the House of Commons, not just Conservative colleagues, but actually also to be mindful of where there's support for the government's policies on the opposition benches, not necessarily on the official opposition benches, but certainly on some of the smaller parties, uh, and then give the Prime Minister an honest view about the support for that policy in Parliament. And actually, if you're doing your job properly, you should have been both parts of that and, and working out when you should have an argument and a fight about something even if you can't be guaranteed success is worth it and sometimes it's not worth it and sometimes it's, you need to listen to people and listen to their concerns and you have to do both parts of that job you, you can't really do either of those parts of the job completely in public and what's your what was your experience of doing it what were the sort of highs and lows you know what's what's a, what's a good day in the whips office what's a bad day well i suppose if i was looking at it i suppose the low uh, which wasn't specifically a, a, um, 
a parliamentary moment, as it were. For me, the low was the uh, referendum result, um, because, uh, frankly, I worked very closely with David Cameron. Um, uh, he, been, he was leader for most of the time I was an MP, uh, and in the ministerial jobs I had, I worked quite closely with him, and obviously latterly, as I was chief whip, very closely working with him. Uh, and I thought it was a huge loss... Um, that he had to stand down as Prime Minister. I, I mean, I think he was right to do so, given the result, and he judged it to be right to do so, and I think he saw clearly the import of the decision that had been made a lot more clearly, frankly, than other people did. Uh, I think it was right the Parliamentary Party, majority, clear majority, wanted him to stay and had signed a letter accordingly, but I think he saw that it was necessary for him uh, to step down, but I thought, given all the, the transformation that he'd led in the party and its prospects, taking us from when I first got elected in 2005, when we'd, you're both happy that you got elected, but the, 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 the Labour Party was still in government, to actually having the first majority Conservative government for two decades, I thought was a huge achievement. So that was, I suppose, the low. As it happens, of course, we, notwithstanding the rules, the Parliamentary Party set out a very clear choice chose a new Prime Minister who's clearly across the job, a huge amount of experience. I work very closely with her in the Home Office. So, you know, couldn't have chosen a better person to replace uh, David Cameron. But notwithstanding that, I think he was a, it was a huge loss. The, the big success, I think, was actually getting the House... It was, a, it was relatively modest in one sense, was getting the House to support uh, extending the military action in Syria against... Islamic State, uh, Daesh, um, something that we hadn't done in, in uh, the vote had been lost in 2013. And I think it was important to move things in the right direction. Perhaps if you know the House had, had taken a more decisive decision in 2013, we wouldn't be where we are today. But I think that was a, a really important decision that was going to have really important consequences, and we worked really hard across Parliament and got a very decisive action to give our military very clear steer and permission to, to do what was necessary to keep us safe. What sort of whip were you? There's a sort of caricature of Francis Urquhart. He's the ultimate um, chief whip uh, operator in Westminster. And there were other people who say, well, now it's more of a sort of HR job and, you, you know, it's not giving, you know, twisting people's arms. It's, you know, carefully explaining and trying to coerce. But how do you... How, how far down the road of gentle persuasion do you go before you just say you are going to vote for this, aren't you? Well, it's very interesting. I, I'm enormously grateful to Michael Dobbs uh, for writing The House of Cards because when anyone ever says what's it like being a whip um, you can usually avoid the question by talking about <laughs> one of the characters either from the Francis Urquhart British version uh, or you can do the, the more contemporary um, US uh, version uh, with Francis Underwood uh, and um, and I can point out I've never had to push a journalist off a building or push one under a train, uh, which is good news for you, uh, or, or even given where we're sat in our office, push her into the river. No, I, my view is, given where Parliament now is and given the changes that took place in the 2010 Parliament in terms of reducing you know, the power of the office, you know, we elect select committee chairs now and parties elect members to go on the select committees. And also, I think MPs are now much more focused on there's a lot more information going backwards and forwards with constituents. I mean there's a there's a there's a fantasy that in the past MPs were terribly independent and 
and rebelled all the time and, and so forth. Actually, that's simply not true. In the 50s, MPs voted with the whip pretty much all the time. MPs have become... Uh, more rebellious, and I think it's a very good book that Philip Cowell is reading. Yeah, the revolts, yeah, yeah. Um, And I think, frankly, you've got to take people with you. You've got to remind colleagues the basis on which they were elected. We were all elected on the same manifesto. What we promised we would do, uh, and, you know, of course people are going to have varying levels of commitment to different things. Everyone does not agree with everything to the same extent, but it's about saying to people, this is a team approach. If you want to deliver the package of things we promise to do, there will be things you're keener on and things you're less keen on. But if everyone doesn't support the package, you can't deliver it. And you've also got to be able to listen to their concerns, make sure they have the opportunity to talk to ministers. Ministers then have to have the ability to flex what it is they're doing to maximise the support they're going to get amongst their parliamentary colleagues. And and ultimately, we've all got to be comfortable that we can go back to our constituents and we can stand on a door. And even if it's a difficult decision, and I I would want to be able to be confident that I could explain to someone why I did it. And, you know, all the way through the difficult decisions we were taking in the last parliament on public expenditure reductions, you know, actually, I I was confident on those occasions I could go back and say to someone, look, even if you don't like this, this is why we're doing it, this is why it's necessary. And ultimately, colleagues have got to be able to do that. You can't expect them to go back and sell something to their constituents uh, if they don't think it's the right thing to do, looking at the government's programme as a whole. So I think it's, it's... there's more of that involved nowadays in terms of taking people with you. And there's also a very important function, you alluded to that by talking about HR, a very important function about making sure colleagues are well supported, you know, colleagues get ill, you know, we've had a number of MPs be very open and honest about having mental health challenges, just like everyone else, one in four members of the public is going to have a mental health problem, MPs are not immune from that, it's making sure we look after people like you would expect a modern... 21st century employer to do and make sure people are properly looked after and can do their jobs properly and look after their constituents and I think the WHIPS office is all of those things uh, wrapped into one. Is there such a thing as the little black book the uh, the WHIPS book of misdemeanours that might be used against MPs? No there, no, there isn't I mean one of the oh, disappointing. Became, no, there, there really <laughs> isn't. One, one of the things when I became chief whip I mean there just isn't yeah. and in fact in the modern world if you ever became aware that somebody uh, had ever engaged in something that was a criminal matter, uh, then your advice to someone that knew about that would be to report it to the police. And, uh, you know, I just don't think in the modern world the sorts of things that are alleged to have taken place in the past, I have no idea whether they're true, I just don't think would be things that, that you would do. And I think there's, it's a much more modern style of whipping. But I think you have to treat colleagues... I think if you talk to MPs, you, you in your job will talk to lots of MPs around the place. I don't think the things that may have happened in the past. I just don't think they would work the same. Apart from anything else, given that we're discussing this and it's going out on a podcast, I think people need to think about modern communication methods like Twitter. If you, if some of the things that may have happened in the past, you tried them now, you'd be reading about them on Twitter in <laughs> five minutes, uh, which would reduce their effectiveness. So I think, I think in the modern world, I, I would say it's about reminding people they're part of a team, that we stood on a, a platform, that we all said to the public... 
if you elect us as Conservative MPs, you're going to get a Conservative government, and that government is going to do certain things. And it's about making sure, even when it's difficult, we all stick together and deliver the things that we promised. Other whips I've spoken to have talked about their, the drinks cabinet playing an important role in either you know, persuading people or celebrating a good result or occasionally drowning sorrows when things go bad. What did you have in your drinks cabinet? Well, I think it's fair to say I'm a, I'm a, I think I'm probably a, a wine person. <laughs> I, I hasten to add, uh, not paid for by the taxpayer, paid for by <laughs> out of our own pockets. But I, I think, yes, j- just like in, in any job, if something goes well, you might have a, an occasional tipple to, to celebrate a job well done and sometimes when things don't go well, you might have a, a, a tipple to drown your sorrows. But I think probably no more actually than in than in any sort of job where you know people are working hard and trying to do a, a good job for the for the country. Hold up! What was that? Boring, no flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. What difference do you think it makes that even when you were doing it, the sort of the problem for the chief whip, if you like, came from the your sceptic side of the toy bar? It was actually the your sceptic side are quite happy at the moment and actually the sort of rebellious wing, if you like, of the, of the Remainers. Is that a big shift for the way that the Tory party and the Whip's office operates, do you think? It's certainly fair to say, and I don't think it's giving away any particular secrets, to say that there were a number of issues that, if they had anything to do with Europe, there were a group of colleagues who were very Eurosceptic, who often um, were more difficult to persuade to support the government's position. I think that's not a particular secret, and they'd probably be quite proud to tell you who they were. <laughs> um, uh, and clearly that that has changed somewhat since the referendum result, and we've been very clear. I was on the Remain side of the argument, but I am, a first and foremost, a Democrat, and I absolutely accept the decision, support the uh, Prime Minister's determination to get the best deal for the country, and I, I actually get... I do get slightly irritated by people who don't seem to be able to work out that we passed the legislation, we said that the decision was for the public, it said in the book we sent to everybody's house that the government would implement the decision, and now people are sort of trying to cavil at at the answer. Um, And I'm very clear we need to, to deliver that for people. But clearly the dynamic has changed, and there's now going to be a very 
interesting process where we're going to have to work really hard and I think the Prime Minister set that out well in the cautious way that she conducts business about trying to take everybody with us to deliver the result of that referendum and clearly there are going to be some people in the parliamentary party who want to go further in one direction there are going to be people on the other side who, who want to have a different outcome and the challenge is going to be to take everybody with us as we, we go on that journey over the next couple of, couple of years to deliver what the British people voted for. If you were still Chief Whip, would you be advising the Prime Minister to have an election? That actually there are tough times ahead, 12 or 16 or whatever it is, majority isn't great, there are big votes probably coming around Brexit, if even not on the subject of it. Do you think there is a case for, for trying to increase that majority? Well, one of the things I find slightly um, frustrating is how this debate about should there or shouldn't be early election is slightly missing the point, because as the minister who took the fixed-term parliament... Oh, you're to blame, of course. Um, <laughs> the Prime Minister actually doesn't have the ability to call an early election, so to some extent, whether she should or shouldn't have one is slightly beside the point. The but if she is, wanted to, ways could be she, found, well, couldn't they? I, well, I'm not sure it's as straightforward as people oh, okay. think it is. I mean, either two-thirds of MPs have got to vote for... Uh, an election, and, and that has to mean people actively voting for it, not just not voting against mm. it. And it seems to me, given the opinion poll lead we have, and the view that many Labour MPs might have about their personal prospects, I'm not sure <laughs> two-thirds of MPs would actually vote for an election today. Uh, if that doesn't happen, the only other way of having one is the government then has to go through this rather painful process of having a vote of confidence in itself, losing it... Then you have a two-week period where you no, no other person can form a government, uh, and then you have an election. I, my own view is I don't think that going into an election, having just lost a vote of confidence, even if you'd explain to the public how that had come about, is the greatest platform on which to do it. Uh, those, so mechanically, I, I don't think... When everyone talks about should Theresa May have a snap election, she simply doesn't have the ability yeah. to have a snap election. And it's your fault. Um, and you can argue, what I was actually doing was delivering the coalition agreement. Very good, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and uh, delivering something, of course, most of my colleagues, not all of them, but most of my colleagues, of course, voted for it. Were you disappointed not to have got a big job in her cabinet when she formed the government? Well, I've always been very clear. I think when you elect a leader of the party, uh, they have an absolute right to choose their team. After all, part of the reason why you elect them is because you think you, you trust their judgment. Yeah. Uh, and I've always been very clear, I, politics is a team game, it's not an individual sport, uh, using that um, analogy. And I made it clear that I was uh, going to return to the backbenches, but absolutely support the government from the backbenches and all my interventions and comments since. I've been very supportive of what the government's trying to do. And I'm also, as I said at the beginning of this interview, I love Parliament, so actually I... There, there is no better thing for me than being in the chamber, being able to speak, make those arguments, um, and and sort of argue your case. So I'm very much enjoying doing that from the back benches, um, and I will continue to do so uh, for for the rest of the parliament. And who knows that call might come in a rainy car park again. Well, it does seem to be <laughs> it does seem to be my my want to get those phone calls at funny times. But no, I mean. Look, it, who, who she has in her government is entirely a matter for her. And I'm a, I'm a, one thing you do become when you've been chief whip and you've worked in the whip's office is you are a team player. Um, and politics is a team game. It's about everybody doing what they're asked to do, uh, looking at how they can uh, deliver what the public voted us 
in to do and you know whatever role you're asked to take on is trying to do that to your best of your ability and I think I, I um, enjoy participating in Parliament um, and raising issues there uh, and I'll continue to do so for as long as my constituents are happy to keep returning me here. Um, of course the Chief Whip isn't part of the Royal Household but your deputies were. What, what sort of role do they, do they play? How do you rely well, on them? It's very interesting because the Whip's office of course stems from the, the link with the Royal Household is of course from the days when the job of the office was to get the King's money for fighting wars basically. So yes, yeah, so the Chief Whip is, is official title is Parliamentary Secretary to the Treasury to the sort of the getting the permission for the money. But no, the other members of the, the office are actually members of the Royal Household. So on when there are garden parties, the Deputy Chief Whip, um, uh, who's the Treasurer of the Royal Household, and there's the Comptroller, who was the number three in the office when I was there, and the Vice-Chamberlain, all go to those garden parties, wear their uh, tails and frocks uh, as appropriate. Um, so my Deputy was Anne Milton, uh, who's still the Deputy Chief Whip, and look after the Queen and other members of the royal family. But they actually have some roles formally as well. So the Vice-Chamberlain is the person uh, who, when the Queen comes to Parliament to do the state opening, is the official hostage. So to ensure the Queen is safely returned to the palace, the Vice-Chamberlain, which was uh, Chris Hopkins when I was Chief Whip, goes to the palace and has a a sweet sherry, I think, with one of the senior (laughs) royal courtiers, and is only allowed to come back to Parliament when Her Majesty is safely returned. But he also has the um, important role every day of writing the Queen a message about what's been going on in Parliament. So she takes a very close personal interest. There's some factual stuff about what was the business and what happened, but part of the Vice-Chamberlain's job is to add a little bit of colour, a little bit of human... Um, interest to that message I have no idea what were in those messages those are very much between the Vice Chamberlain and the Queen but my understanding is the Queen gets those messages every day, she reads them and appreciates some of that little bit of colour and human side of things that's added you know, the the Vice Chamberlain, a little bit of humour a little bit of what may have been going on and on days when there's a big important decision being taken you get a little bit of the sense of the drama uh, and the importance of some of the decisions, and that will obviously go with all of the important documents of state uh, that she sees every day. So there's quite an interesting link between the Whip's office, the government, and the royal household, just reminding us, of course, that, uh, that the, the Crown is very much part of Parliament. Um, there are two houses of Parliament, but the Queen has to sign all the legislation, and, and the Crown has a very important role here. And is it just a one-way process, the message goes from the Whip's office to the palace? Has anything ever come back? Is there that, any, any feedback? I don't... The, the honest answer is I don't know because actually the, the Vice-Chamberlain's sort of interactions with the Queen remain confidential. Uh, I don't know. But actually, in one sense, those jobs, particularly the Vice-Chamberlain's job, I think was a huge privilege for the person that gets to do the job because there are not very many roles in politics where you get the opportunity, I certainly never did, I think the Prime Minister is really the only other person, where you get the opportunity to go and see the Queen one-on-one, nobody else in the room, um, where you take her official messages from Parliament and then you get to take the official responses. And there are not very many people in the world who get private time to talk to the Sovereign without anybody else in the room um, and I can only imagine that that would be a huge privilege uh, for a Member of Parliament to do and something which you know just makes this job even more interesting than all of the things we do on a day to day basis and I know all the people that I've ever come across that have done that job have found it hugely fascinating. Mark Harper thank you very much. Pleasure. 
Catch every episode in the Red Box Whip Round by subscribing to the podcast on your Android device and on iTunes, where it'd be great if you could leave a review. And for daily insight behind the scenes on life in Westminster, sign up to my morning email briefing at thetimes.co.uk forward slash redbox email. But for now, for me, Matt Chorley, it's goodbye. Thank you for downloading. To discover more, head to thetimes.co.uk. 